It's another episode of the official PFRA podcast. That is the Pro Football Researchers Association. John Bozica and George Bozica along with you as always. We took a holiday hiatus away from the podcast. If you appreciate alliteration, you appreciated what I just said there. As I said, John Bozica, George Bozica along with you. George, uh, we've talked to a number of folks on the podcast over a course of time. Uh, we've had former players. We've had authors. Uh, and we've just tried to uh, encapsulate the story of football through the people that we have on. And uh, we're going to be doing that again tonight. Yeah, uh, we've got a, a former player tonight, Ray Ellis, uh, who... Uh, Actually, he is uh, from Canton, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, played at Canton McKinley. Uh, then he went on to play at The Ohio State University. And from there, he went on to the NFL, uh, played for the Eagles, and played for the Browns uh, during the Marty Schottenheimer, Bernie Kosar years. Yeah, not just a guy that had a uh, cup of coffee in the NFL, a guy yeah. that really, when you look at it, had an elongated career. I, I consider elongated career five years or more, and he was a guy who was in the league from 1981 to 1987, and uh, there's going to be a lot of great stories there. Some really good Eagles teams in there, some really quality Browns teams that he played on, yep. so I'm sure the stories are going to be great, plus talking to him about his college days, playing for one of the best to ever do it, and Woody Hayes, and I think Earl Bruce a little bit as well yes, yes so yes he's played for a uh, number of legendary coaches throughout his career and we'll get into that more during the interview so we'll have Ray Ellis join us now on the official PFRA podcast as we begin our discussion and we pick it up from his first answer to our first question here on the podcast Well, you know, uh, it's interesting you asked me that because uh, I, I just talked to my my business partner back there from Canton, Ohio today. Uh, that's Dave Jingo, and Dave and I have been uh, we we got a project we've been working on for some time now called um, uh, Pro Sports Legacy, and we're going to be doing sports documentaries of of players and um, throughout you know the country uh, who have been successful and. Uh, primarily we'll start off with football, but then we'll go to basketball too as well. But uh, it, it's kind of interesting because this is how I want you know players to be able to share their experiences uh, with the world, you know, and then by in their own words. So you're going to give me a chance to kind of <laughs> um, get started in a kind of a dress rehearsal. But uh, I'm born and raised in Canton, Ohio, um, southwest side of town, as a matter of fact. Well. Let me go back even further. When I when I was a real little kid, like prior to the um, kindergarten and first grade, I, I lived on um, lived in the southeast side of Canton. Then when I started school, I went to kindergarten at Lathrop, and uh, and and I say that because I have friends to this day. As a matter of fact, I, I walked into Harker Junior High School when we did our Canton outside of Canton food giveaway, and I. Uh, I saw probably my first best friend in my life, uh, and that was a gentleman by the name of uh, Gregory Allison. And Gregory is the brother, I'm sorry, Gregory is the uncle of uh, Adrian Allison, who is uh, working now, I think, um, for the Black Colleges alongside of the the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, uh, but, but it was those days, that young, I can go back to, uh, being in kindergarten and 
you know, playing football, you know, um, throwing the football around. I, I don't know if we were playing, if we we're just catching, you know, <laughs> what we we're doing. But uh, it was as early as, as, as kindergarten and first grade that I, I try to think back, look back, look at a picture or when I'm in a neighborhood, drive down the street and it kind of brings back some memories, helps me kind of shake my memory to think about those days and times and what we did as kids for enjoyment. And um, football was one of those things. Then, then I moved from the Southeast over to the Southwest and that's where things really kind of got started. Um, I remember, you know, first grade and uh, just looking back thinking about, as I said, when you drive through the neighborhood or when you see somebody, it kind of shakes your memory, jogs your memory. But uh, yeah, I, I, as early as first grade, man, I, I remember, you know, uh, throwing a football around and being able to catch it. And uh, when we were kids, you know, you always played to win. And if, if, if somebody threw your football and you didn't catch it, you dropped it, then when you're choosing teams, most of the time they're not going to pick you. <laughs> if, you're, if you're dropping the football, no, they're not going to pick you. So I could catch the football pretty good. So, yeah, that's about first grade, you know, watching TV and trying to emulate what those guys did. If they caught the ball, Paul Warfield, if he caught the ball, then I was trying to catch the ball like Paul. Well, and, and did it have a profound effect on you, Ray, that, that you grew up in? I mean, for those that don't know, and, and obviously all of us being Ohio people, we know the importance of football in Stark County, but did that make even a more profound effect on you, the fact that the steps to uh, the place that the greatest players go is that close to where you grew up? I mean, knowing that that rotunda sat that far away, did that make it more important to you? Well, the fact that it was in the home, in that town, and I was in that town, and as as, as a kid, uh, many times what we try to do is we try to latch on to things, and uh, you know the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I was in school in the early six, uh, yeah, I say mid to late sixties, yeah. So um, it was a thing whereas it was something that was going to be on TV. You know, the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame game, the Rose Bowl, you know, those are things that, that people got excited about. So I got excited about it. And it was there in Canton. And I, and I lived over by 9th Street Southwest and High Avenue, or two crossing streets. And I would walk from there, me and my friends in the neighborhood, we would walk from there to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We would we would follow the parade all the way out, you know, to the steps of the Hall of Fame, and then we'd have to walk back home. And then also, I did that same thing at nighttime on Friday nights when Kent McKinley would play basketball or football. We would also our, our parents they they let us walk, and that that was a long walk, <laughs> miles that we walked, and. Um, but we wanted to, we, you know, it was something that was so appealing and exciting about it. It gave us so much energy that you wanted to be a part of that. You wanted to see it live, you know? And so, um, you know, that, yeah, that was, that was, that was special to be able to know that how special the, the Hall of Fame was at that time. I didn't really, it didn't really register to me what it really meant, but I knew it was something big. We all knew it was something big and exciting and people came from all over the country and to Canton, Ohio, and it was a big parade. And um, 
that was something that, you know, we wanted to be somewhat of a part of it, even if we could just say we saw it. And then as you got older, you could travel the country or the world and say that was a part of your hometown and your experience growing up as a kid. That, that was something special, yes. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I, I grew up on the Northwest End and I was within walking distance of the Hall of Fame, too. I mean, it was just down the hill and then through Stadium Park. Yours was a much shorter walk. Yeah, I had a shorter, yeah. <laughs> I had about a mile, but I remember when I was a kid walking to Fossa Stadium with my dad to see the games on Friday night because that's what we yeah, would do. That, so, you know, I think it was that a was something special. Yeah, it was. I think and, it was. And, uh, George, you and I go back to when there were four schools. So, exactly. you know, of course, you went to Layman, I yeah. went to the Old McKinley and the New McKinley. Yeah. So, you know, there were. Um, you know, four schools playing in those stadiums. And uh, interesting, that, that's, um, that's, that's nice to hear you say that is, because um, I never had that experience, you know, of you walking to the game with your yeah. dad, man. Yeah. That, that's something special. I'm, a, I'm an emotional guy, man. You might be emotional <laughs> there, you know, miss that one. Yeah. But, but yeah, that, that that's, I, I would imagine to you that was something special. Yeah. You it, and your pop walking to the game together. It was. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, and even, and, and listen, Regardless of what team it was, if it was if it was McKinley, Timken, Lincoln, or Layman, yeah, just going to Fawcett Stadium was a big was a big deal for I think for everybody in that in in that town of Canton, Ohio, to go to that stadium and, and watch the team play, knowing that they're playing in the same stadium that pro football players are playing in. Well, Ray, next question I wanted to ask you is I I I remember seeing you play as a sophomore at McKinley, and uh, that mm -hmm. would have been 1974. And, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, we have a friend of ours in broadcasting that will talk about this high school player or that high school player. And mm -hmm. we'll say, well, how good is he? And he's a former coach in the area. Um, and he'll say, well, he's going to play on Sunday. So <laughs> you were that kind of player, as I remember, seeing you in 1974 for McKinley as a sophomore. Because I remember people, you know, that would sit around us at the game and saying, you know, this kid's special. So, mm -hmm. can, and I know you throughout your career played for a lot of legendary coaches, uh, and one of them is one that maybe nationally isn't known, but John Bridewieser is obviously known in the state of Ohio. Can you tell us about your experiences with Coach Bridewieser and then starting as a sophomore at Kent McKinley? Yeah, it, interesting you 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 say that, and, and I, I thank you for those kind words because. Um, is you know growing up there in Canton, you know, to get that kind of uh, endorsement from people there who have a chance to see some of the greatest players that ever played the game because the Hall of Fame game comes through there, uh, and you see different teams, and then you see we pay tribute to the greatest players and we induct them into the Hall of Fame. So uh, I respect the opinion of those in Canton, and uh, it was special to me when I was a freshman. Um, John Bridewieser actually when I, when I was in 8th grade actually Bridewieser came over to Hartford where I went to school I went to Sowers in the 7th grade and it's a true story I actually um, said to my mom we were about to move and I wanted her to move uh, a part of town that would allow me to go to Hartford because I knew that's where McKinley got their ball players from so um, we actually got the assistance from a gentleman by the name of um, John Lucas, you guys may know that name there in the city. Yep. Um, John assisted uh, my mom and uh, us in getting a home, and we moved over to Hillview. And um, well, that actually was my ninth grade. The eighth grade prior to that, um, 
we didn't really have any assistance. My mom just found a house down the street from my grandfather's and it was right on the border of um, the borderline of going to Hartford and Sowers. And I went to Hartford and got over there and I couldn't believe it that it was at the, the season was over, but Coach Brywiser came down and he spoke to several of us, not just myself, but I'm gonna say there was about, maybe about five guys that he pulled in a room and he told us that he wanted us as next year we were gonna be freshmen and he wanted us to come up and work with the varsity during two a days. And we did that. And at the conclusion of those two a days, um, I was the one that he kept on the varsity and send the other, you know, four guys back down to the freshman team. And um, and then, so I had that experience of playing as a, as a freshman on the varsity. And I was uh, also, uh, I played multiple positions. I think I played everything in football at McKinley, except uh, I didn't play guard and I didn't play tackle. So I played, played fullback, I played tailback, I played quarterback, I played wide receiver, I played tight end. I played wing back, you know, and then on the defense, I I played outside linebacker. I played corner. I didn't play safety, interestingly enough. That's a part of my story for later in life. But, um, yeah, it was one of those things where he, um, Rideweiser was, Rideweiser was a cutoff block of Woody Hayes. Uh, he didn't mince his words at all. And as a matter of fact, my sophomore year, um, they moved me to wide receiver. Uh, when I was a freshman, uh, Garland Burns was a starting varsity quarterback. Rock kind of shared some time with him. And um, and then I was, you know, like third or fourth team as a quarterback. And <clears throat> But then my sophomore year, uh, Brad Weezer decided they were going to go with Brock. And as a starting quarterback, and he moved me to wide receiver. And it was a position I had never played. And so um, I was excited about that. But then there were times when we went to a um, a tight formation and the wide receiver had to be a, uh, a tight end. And that tight end then had to block a linebacker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, uh, let me just say uh, my, my courage at that time wasn't at its highest peak. And so I was a little intimidated as a, as a, as, as a sophomore, really a freshman, because it's, it's summertime now, okay? Two days of, of my uh, sophomore year, so school hasn't started yet. So I'm a sophomore playing varsity football and at McKinley, and I'm in the starting lineup, and I've got to block a, 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 you know, a linebacker or a defensive end on the other side of the ball. And I'm just a kid. I just got finished playing junior high school football, man. I'm, I'm not ready for McKinley, a starter. And Bry Weezer, um, this is a po podcast, right? So I yeah. can say he lit into my ass. He lit into my ass yeah. <laughs> on several occasions. Uh, he did not mince his words. I mean, Bry Weezer, I mean, just like Coach Hayes, oh, my God. So it was one of those things where um, he was hard on me. And I never had a quarterback like that. Uh my my junior high school quarterback in the seventh grade, Mr. Stepanchis, Coach Stepanchis over Sowers, he was a tough. He was tough too, man. He was. I, I needed. I needed that. That was kind of a precursor to my expect. My expectation. My expectation should be when I go on to, um, you know, to to Hartford and McKinley, 
and then down to Ohio State. But but it was a thing where at one time I came home from practice and I told my mom, you know, this old coach, blah, 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 so I wanted to quit. My mother looked me dead in my eyes and told me, you're not quitting. You said you wanted to play, you're going to play. It, 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 was, it was a blessing. You know, God had to know that she, and she had to know that, you know, I was just, I was scared. You know, that's the reality of it. I was scared. These, man, these, this is McKinley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these, these guys are, you know, they're like pro football players. In Kent, Ohio, when you, back then, you're a superstar. You're a star in the city when you play for McKinley, you know? And so I just, um, I, was, I was scared. But um, somehow or another, I got my courage up. And that sophomore year was probably one of the best football years of my life, you know, because of Brightwizard stayed on me. And I had a coach, Coach um, Coach Newell. We lost him, God rest his soul. He told me, he pulled me aside one day, he said, Ray, you, you don't, I don't want you to worry about what he says. I, don't worry about him. I got, I'll take care of him. You, you just go ahead and do what you're supposed to do. And Coach Newell was patient with me. He saw the talent in me, and and Brian was just saw it too. So he wouldn't have had me up there. Uh, it just they were just trying to get it out of me, and uh, and they t- once they taught me the technique I was supposed to use, and I uh, I listened to them and I followed directions and I did it. I mean, I, I did it probably as as good as you could do it based upon what they they taught me, and I, I say that only because I I remember watching the film. And I'm showing the film, running it back, and then showing me actually blocking the guys in front of me and putting them on their back, only because I was doing it the exact way they taught me to do it. So uh, yeah, that was that. That's kind of special. Them guys there. There's some special kind of coaches there. John Bradwiser, no doubt about. It. I'd take him. You know, he is a like I said, a younger version of a, a Woody Hayes, of a Dick Vermeil. You know, he has all of that in him. Those are those are great coaches. Those are Hall of Fame coaches at the next level. And he certainly is a Hall of Fame coach at the high school level. You know, Ray, um, you are one of many guys that's in this fraternity, if you will. It's not a large one, but it is, of guys that played in the Maslin-McKinley game, played in the Ohio State-Michigan game, and then played in the Brown Steelers or – Eagles and Cowboys, Eagles and, you know, Redskins back then. But, you know, you're one of a few guys that had that honor. Um, And I guess I I would ask you, for those that that aren't in that club, what was the best, what was the most intense, and what was it like being in those games? And and from a young age, too, being – thrown and thrust into a situation where you're traveling eight miles west over to Maslin and you're playing in front of 22,000 people. Um, did, did that prepare you for Ohio State, Michigan, and then Brown Steelers? Did that immediately give you that taste of what big-time football is like? Uh, again, you know, interesting that you say that because personally, I, the way I feel is that uh, from my experience of playing at McKinley, uh, the Mouse McKinley game got me prepared for every college game that I played in. And then the Ohio State-Michigan game got me prepared for every pro game that I played in because that that's 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 how you turn it up, you know, to that level. It's a competition. Uh, the competition at high school is like you play math. In college, you play math on every week in college. And then in pros, 
you play Michigan every week in the pros. And so those games were able to get me prepared for it. And, and the thing about it is the coaches that I, that I, that I had my experience that, you know, that taught me the game, that, you know, they were the greatest coaches. You know, I, I, you know, another thing I brag, you know, I brag on Ken all the time, whenever I go anywhere, you know, I was in South America one time, South Africa one time and South America. And, uh, but I was in South Africa and I remember, uh, some people stopping me and talking to me. I don't know why we were, we were having some type of conversation. And, uh, you know, I immediately wanted to make sure I let them know that I was from Canton, Ohio, where the Pro Football Hall of Fame was, and they were excited. They knew all about it. But, but yeah, being there at McKinley, there's not because of my early experience of playing football at McKinley. I never walked in. It prepared me for every situation of sports competition that I ever participated in. I was I was never the one that was, you know, a deer in headlights because I've been there. Yeah, I, I'm, I played in front of 20,000 people at 15 years old. <laughs> you know, some guys, you know, play pro ball. They come from small schools, um, the small university, division one schools, whatever. It could be still, you know, still, you know, Akron, I think maybe division one, but, uh, and they got a Hall of Famer out there, tight end, come out of there, I believe. So if I'm not mistaken, did Winslow go to, uh, or, well, one of the, it's somebody from up in Akron, I think, is in the Hall of Fame. But the fact of the matter is, um, McKinley's just get you prepared for that. And uh, I, I thank God for that experience. And that's what I try to tell the guys when I come back and talk to them. Hey, guys, if you make it and you play here, you can play anywhere. You can play anywhere in the world, and you're as good. You're not going to find any competition any better than you're going to find right there. So that gives you kind of an indication of, uh, you know, what to expect if you haven't, you know, got a chance to speak to somebody before. I'm always going to give them, you know, 100%. I'm going to keep it real with them. I'll let them know, hey, guys, you guys don't have any excuse. You don't have any excuse. You got everything you need right here. This environment right there in Canton, Ohio, this is it, man. This is every ingredient you need to get you prepared for professional sports, basketball and football. Mm. Yep. Yeah, that, that's one thing I always share with people from outside, you know, Canton, Stark County area is, is that, you know, growing up in the 70s, which was sort of at its peak, you know, you'd go to high school games and, as you said, 20,000 people always for the massive McKinley game. But then I remember in 74, because I remember this game distinctly, the week before you played Maslin in 74, Warren. you played Warren in front of 18, <laughs> 19,000 people at Fawcett. It was like a yeah. whiteout. They had these white hankies or whatever, the Warren yeah. fans. And I think you guys want, I remember this game till forever, 19 to nothing, I think you won. And then you got off to a slow start the next week at Maslin, got the lead, and then Masson completed a pass they should have never completed. <laughs> you can tell he's a key guy, with, by the with way. Se with seconds to go. <laughs> so, uh, yep. but I, I I always remember those back-to-back -back games. Yeah, Warren uh, Warren Hardy. Interesting. I, I got down to uh, Ohio State, and there was a couple guys from Warren that were down there. Um, interesting enough, though, um, nobody from Masson. Nobody yeah, from Masson. That's interesting. Yeah, but. Um, but there was, um, well, there was a kid from Maslin who did go to Ohio State. And I can't believe it, but I, I think he left. He did leave. He just, whether he dropped out of school, I don't know if he dropped out, flunked out, but he, he didn't stay. He didn't complete his, 
is four years or how many ever, you know, five years eligibility for if you're red shirt. But uh, Harmon, Harmon was the big back yeah. at Madison. Yeah. And, and, and he actually went there a uh, the year before I did. And when I came down there, um, my freshman year, he was gone. But uh, uh, Kelton Danzler from Warren Harding mm-hmm. was a, a great linebacker and uh, at Ohio State. And uh, KD um, was, you know, he was good for me. It, it's one of those other things where also as an athlete, what you do is you kind of, you, you look around the room and... Uh, and you kind of size up the competition. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, we, we played them. Yeah, we beat them, so oh, I, I'm okay. You know, <laughs> this guy over here, we played them, we beat them, I, I'm okay. So you kind of, you know, you, you keep, I, at least I kept it to myself, but that's how I sized everybody up. It's like, oh, we beat them, so I'm, I'm not gonna worry about those guys. <laughs> we beat them, you know, I know. And so, and and then the guys, will, you know, there's a there's good the good people in the room. They, they give you respect where, where it's, you know, deserved and, uh, they'll be honest with people about you know how good you were or how good you thought you were <laughs> so but you got to go out and you got to prove it all over again in that environment but uh yeah that was always good for me it's just like when i was at mckinley when i was a freshman i was up on the hill the starting quarterback was garland burns now garland and i grew up on the southwest as you know as kids together you know and i was nine years old ten years old playing mighty Mike baseball uh for some reason garland didn't play but we play we play football against each other all the time. So now I get up to McKinley. He's a senior. I'm a freshman, but he's the starting quarterback. So that made me feel real comfortable. Another one of my friends uh, became my friends. Then took me under his wing as a freshman because he had played basketball with my brother. They played JV together. Um, Charlie Weatherspoon, who I tell people now has been a mentor of mine for over 50 years. You know, um, Charlie kind of took me under his wings up there uh, on the hill. Is which is what we called it, and which it was at that time is is now gone. Um, but when I was up there in the two days on the hill, you know, Charlie kind of took me under his wings and embraced me. I sit down, have lunch with them, you know, in the middle of the two, you know, in between each practice and in the room, um, you know, in that room. One thing about again, you know, uh, a special person in there, you know, my secondary coach, his brother head coach in the National Football League. <laughs> wow, man, how special, you know. Um, Bill Knox was was my coach, my secondary coach. His brother was Chuck Knox, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, Coach Knox was, you know, I could go down to Ohio State. Now I'm going to go down to Ohio State. And, you know, I try to one-up everybody down there. And I tell them, hey, man, my, my high school coaches, you know, the secondary coach, his brother was the head coach in the NFL. <laughs> so, you know, Ken, I used anything I could, any advantage Ken gave me, I used it. You know, you mentioned going down to Ohio State and, you know, you, you, you talk about John Bridewieser as Rayless is our guest, former uh, Ohio State Buckeye, former Philadelphia Eagle, Cleveland Brown, uh, played at Canton McKinley in high school from Canton originally. Um, you mentioned going down to Ohio State. Was it a rude awakening walking into a Woody Hayes locker room? What was that like first time Coach Hayes walked in? Because we've all heard the stories of him tearing up his hats and throwing himself against lockers and screaming at people and doing things, so on and so forth. I want to know from somebody who spent time with him, what was Coach Hayes like? Well, you know, he was – 
Coach Hayes was a very unique person because he kind of was like, a, he was like a grandfather figure to you in the locker room. Um, you know, when he wasn't coaching, he was very soft-spoken. He, he wasn't, um, he's not a real animated person when he's not coaching, but, but he has a, a, he had a button that he switched on and switch off. And I, I, I describe myself as that way too. You know, I, I had a button that I switched on and switch off. I, I'm a, I was a complete different person on the football field than I was, you know, in just normal aspects of life. And, um, you know, the thing about it with Coach Hayes is that um, when he was on that football field, you know, it his, he changed completely. It, it, was, it was a complete different person. Um, he cared about you, but he was, uh, he talked about his, he always emphasized his military experience. And there was never, from his perspective, there was never room for margin for error. There was no error. He, he would talk to us about fighter pilots and he would talk about, um, you know, how, you know, there was times where they prepared, you know, for when they would be called in, into duty. And he talked, he, he would show using his hands two, two, you know, planes up in the air. And if it were um, determined that these planes were gonna fly next to each other on a mission, and then they were supposed to turn left, make a left. And if the guy that was on the left was confused and didn't know what he was supposed to do, and he thought instead of going left, he was supposed to go right. Well, the guy that was on his right, when he made the left, that meant they were going to crash. And and he would, he, you know, he would give us those kind of examples of how important it is for you to always know your assignment, never make mistakes. He, he did not like mistakes at all, and uh, and I took tremendous pride in that. And so I I uh, like to brag to this day to this day that. Um, in the secondary at Ohio State, uh, a winning performance was um, if you got an 80 or above, um, I'm sorry, a 90 or above, you know, you got a winning performance. Um, it's like, you know, it's an A. And I think I started three years and every game I played in, I got a, a winning performance, except twice I got 89s. So, um, I, I really appreciate that. And that was, again, something that I picked up from Coach Hayes because I didn't want to be on, on, his, on his bad side. <laughs> because if you're on his bad side, you know, he, he, um, he let you know. He, 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 he let you know. And as a matter of fact, interesting enough, uh, my sophomore year, my freshman year after I played, uh, my freshman year, I let her, I came home for the summertime. It was the only time I came home. It's the last summer I was in. And I lived in Canton was the summer of uh, 1977, 78. Yeah, so 78. And there was an all-star game there. And uh, I think a kid from Ohio State, it might have been, maybe might have been the second year. Um, a kid was from Ohio State, Ben Lee, was going to play in that game. And I came to watch the game. And um, somebody told me, I don't know who it was, but somehow somebody told me I was walking around and somebody uh stopped me and said that Coach Hayes was at the game. And I was like, oh, wow, really? And uh, I later found out that somebody told Coach Hayes that I was at the game. 
And so I knew that if he was at the game and he knew I was at the game, that um, he shouldn't have to look for me. I should look for him. So <laughs> I, I found out where he was uh, sitting at. And I went over and Coaches um, was a great man. Uh, he was a great man. Uh, he made everybody just so, you know, let them enjoy the moment. He, he knew who he was and what he was. Greatest coaches ever. Um, great role model. Great father figure. But um, he wanted to entertain those folks. So um, I walked up to him and I said, Coach Hayes, how you doing? And he said, good. Uh, he asked me, was I in shape? And I told him, yeah, yeah. And then I asked me how I'd been working. I said, yeah. So of course he gives me about three or four or five quick jabs to the stomach to see if I'm in shape. And you know, all those people there, they laugh because they think, you know, you always hear about Coach Hayes punching something or somebody. So uh, it was uh, special to me, man. But yeah, Coach Hayes, one of the greatest coaches ever. And uh, you know, his, you know, always wants you to give a hundred percent effort on the field, you know, but also wanted you to exercise your football intelligence and not make mistakes. Yeah. After uh, you played for Coach Hayes' last two years at Ohio State, and then mm -hmm. uh, you moved on to uh, another coach that sort of had a legendary career in Earl Bruce. Uh, and he actually coached at Masson for two years. Uh, so what was it like with that transition going from, you know, as you said, the legendary Woody Hayes to, to Earl Bruce? Well, uh, I, I remember when we were going through a little bit of, of you know, if I think back, I, I remember the process of us going on that search for another coach. And uh, I heard that there was a coach that they were considered bringing back was a guy by the name of Earl Bruce, of which I'd never heard of Coach Bruce before, even though I grew up there in Canton. Um, I don't know if I were going to those Mass McKinley games, if he was coaching then or not, I, I didn't know. but. They had said that he was from Ohio State. He had been on Ohio State staff before. But they said he coached at Maslin. So for me, in the beginning, I, <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't too happy about that, you know. But, uh, but once he got there, uh, and then he, uh, because he came from Maslin, you know, I kind of felt as if, you know, I, I knew what I could expect from him in terms of this is somebody who's a winner for sure, because he came from I he came from um, I think he at that time was he at Iowa? Did Iowa he leave State. Iowa? I think Iowa, Iowa State. State. Yeah, yeah. Iowa, yeah, he left Iowa State and came. So I didn't know much about Iowa State, but I just knew in terms of his competitiveness, I knew that he was going to be a winner, and uh, I know what his expectations were going to be. So. Um, he came in and then he, uh, you know, somebody who, you know, went on to exceed the success that Earl Bruce had was my secondary coach that year was Pete Carroll. Oh, he yeah. bought, Pete was our secondary coach. And then, um, interesting enough, after Pete left, Pete stayed with us for one year. We went to the Rose Bowl. We lost at 17-16. We are undefeated. Um the next year, Nick Saban came in as our secondary coach. So uh, there was, man, the, the, the tree of coaches that I had experience with, you know, it's like if I had a, just an inch of talent, I, I certainly should have been, had some success because of who, who I was coached by. 
Uh, I can never use that that for an excuse, you know. As a matter of fact, that's a, I think the success I had, without a doubt, a, a, you know, a reason of that is the guys who were teaching me how to play. If I just would just listen to fifty percent of what they said and applied it, uh, I should have been a decent ball player, and it worked out. You know, we you know we wrote down the guys that you played for. We wrote down Schottenheimer, Vermeil. We wrote down Hayes. We wrote down Bruce. We obviously had no idea about Pete Carroll. I mean, that's that's a deep cut because people I don't even yeah. think knew that he spent time there. And then to spend time with Saban. I mean, could you see this? This is a question I always like to ask in a case like this. Ray is could you see from those early days of the way that they were? Could you see that they were going to go on to be great coaches? Could you, as a player, sense that about them? Uh, I could. I, I could say yes, and I will say yes. Because like myself, uh, there were certain things about them that probably for the average person wasn't that important, but to them, it was it was a stickler, you know. And it was um, as I talked about, you know, Coach Hayes not wanting to make mistakes. Um, you know, Coach Knox was that way when I was in high school, because uh, you know, Coach Knox always talked about us. Uh, not making a, a fool out of, you know, uh, I, I don't make an ass out of you and me. Don't assume. That's 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 the word Coach Knox said. Um, never assume when you're in the secondary because you're last line of defense. And if you if you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. <laughs> so I, I kind of got that one. I said, okay, get that. Okay, spell the word assume. Okay, don't do that. All right. And then uh, when I get to Ohio State, I got Coach Hayes, you know. And again, the stickler for no mistakes. Not, you know, just wasn't going to have it, you know. Uh, work ethic, nobody's going to outwork us. We're going to work harder than everybody else. We're going to be prepared. We're going to play, you know, the entire game until the game is over with. And, uh <clears throat> Then, you know, after he left and the Coach Bruce took over and Coach Bruce took over and he bought in Pete Carroll, you know, and Pete only stayed with us for a year. And then he went and got a head coaching job. But, um, you know, one thing about Pete in terms of preparation and, you know, starting off fast from the very beginning, Pete did something that was very, you know, special to me that he and I kind of connected on early. And okay, I'm gonna share this, but this is really for my, this is for my I remember story, guys. I, I'm giving you some, some, some good inside scoop here stuff. When Pete came in uh, at Ohio State, if you're a captain and you're obviously you have a position that you play, and those drills where you go to, you know, individual drills, position drills, the captain always leads those drills. And uh, Pete wanting to get everything started off the right way and want to make sure that everybody's, you know, getting, setting the right tone for practice. Our captain that year, my junior year, going into the uh, season when they, they, they came in the off season, so for that spring ball and everything, our captain was a guy named Mike Guess. And Mike started at, at Ohio State as a freshman. And when I came in, I, Mike took me under his wing, and I was really excited about, you know, playing in the secondary with Mike Guess. But Mike had a chip on his shoulder that um, at times 
um, came across the wrong way. Uh, you know, it, it definitely had nothing to do with the way he played the game. But Mike just at time had a chip on his shoulder. And Mike's Mike's mom, I think, was a school teacher. So it was um, kind of surprising that sometimes the way, you know, he just conducted himself. And, um, you know, there was a couple of times that Coach Carroll said a couple of things to him and Mike didn't respond in the right way. And Mike was supposed to be leading the drills and, you know, he didn't have the right tempo. And Pete told him to step out and he put me in. And he had me lead those drills. And from that point on, um, I led drills that whole entire year. And then the next year, next season, I became the captain. And but but that right there was just how much it meant to Pete Carroll to start his drills off the right way. You you you're, you're going to set the tone because you're going to lead us in these drills, and I got to have it the right way. If it's not the right way, I, no, somebody else is going to do it. Even though you're the captain, that's okay. And um, that meant a lot to me that he trusted me to set the tone for the guys. But at the same time, Mike was. He was the other corner, <laughs> you know. He was the guy who was on the other side of the field with me, and he's the guy that I looked up to before I got to Ohio State. You know, he's he's only a year ahead of me, so he was starting as a freshman, um, and and then now I'm in the secondary. I didn't start as a freshman, but I'm a sophomore. He's a junior, and uh, I'm starting in the secondary with him. And um, man, he just didn't get it right for Pete and. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, it might have been Mike's senior year because Pete came when Mike was a senior and I was going to be a junior. That was the year we went to the Rose Bowl, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and so that, those kind of coaches, that they, there's things about when I got to pro football and Coach Vermeil, I saw a lot of Coach Ver, Woody Hayes and Coach Vermeil at that highest level. You know, he was very intense, very, very, very intense, you know. Practice, you know, you know, he believed in practicing hard and doing things the right way, bringing energy to practice to everything that you did, no mistakes, you know. And um, but a great coach, loved his players. Coach Vermeil and Coach Hayes were two men in my life that I knew that, even though they were coaches, and they were not your fathers, you know, in their heart, you were their sons. And they felt that for you and they wanted the best for you and they wanted to bring the best out of you. And uh, I could have asked to play for two greater men in my life, Coach Hayes and uh, Coach Vermeil. And, and I was so happy I, I was there at the ceremony when Coach Vermeil got inducted. In fact, I got a great picture of he and I uh, from that night. But uh, and these are those coaches are something special. You know, I, I always, I, I never say, they're, they could be like a father figure, but they're not trying to replace you, your father because nobody replaces your father. But it's just like, okay, if a father was to be a coach, then this is what your father would look like, Coach Hayes or Coach Vermeil. You uh, obviously were playing in Philadelphia through 85, and I, I looked it up because I knew it was close because I knew he played for the Packers, but you played with the Eagles during Reggie White's first year there did you have uh go ahead i'm sorry yeah did you have interplay with reggie i know you were in the obviously you're in the defensive backfield he's on the line but did you have interplay with him since you're both part of the same unit uh yeah i did and uh let me just say this uh i've never seen before 
I never saw before, and I've never seen since then a defensive lineman as good as Reggie White. To this day, I've never seen a defensive lineman as good as Reggie White. Reggie White could literally pick a, a man, 275, 300 pounds, up and throw him in the air. And Reggie was not Reggie was not a man who who lived in the weight room. As a matter of fact, he he might have bypassed the weight room on a regular occasion. Reg, Reggie he had natural ability that God gave him his speed, his quickness off of the ball, you know, all that stuff. Reggie, Reggie there, was, there was nothing that Reggie White could not do. Um, Reggie White probably, um, you know, there's no, well, at post-mortem, Reggie was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Reggie probably was the greatest defensive lineman ever. You know, White to put anybody's film up and nothing anybody else did that Reggie didn't do. Reggie, Reggie could do it all. And uh, interesting story. I got a Reggie White story. We're in, uh, I think we're in uh, Detroit, and we're having camp with the Detroit Lions for whatever reason they worked it out like that. And so we, we're going to Detroit, and um, I had some friends up there who played for the Lions. Uh, my teammate from Ohio State, Keith Ferguson. And so Ferg came over to visit me and we went out for a little ride someplace or, or talked. And then when we were coming back, I got out of the car, we're coming back. There's a car in front of me and there's somebody in the back seat, two people in the front and somebody in the back. Now the person in the front seat sitting in the passenger side is our GM at that time, Harry Gamble. Somebody's in the back seat, almost taking up the entire back window. I have no clue who this is. <laughs> and then there's a guy in the driver's seat. The guy in the driver's seat, I later and find out is, uh, I think it's Patrick Fata. Uh But anyway, he later became the Philadelphia Eagles general manager. He was Reggie White's agent at that time. Reggie was the guy who was taking up the back seat, the entire back seat. And what they were doing is they were trying to work out a deal to get Reggie a part to become a part of our team and they did they they, they worked it out and uh so we we go back after that and next thing we know uh this guy who was taking up that entire back seat is a member of the philadelphia eagles and, and it's reggie white yep you know but uh ray i was gonna say you you obviously had interplay with with reggie white but i i always find this an interesting question to ask people that played your position you know as as a defensive back but was there a receiver that you went against or a guy that you went against in practice and and I'm immediately thinking of Harold Carmichael because you played on the same team with him but was there a guy that you went against in practice that you were like damn that guy can play and like you just thought more of him as a player that was across from you Wow, that's uh, interesting you say that because uh, there's, there's been a couple of my in my experiences that I've had that happen to me, you know, um, you know, and and I think about it, I look how they play and how they perform, and I think about it in practice, and and that's one thing about you know, in in practice, a lot of times I feel personally, I always want to do the best I can in practice. So it was somewhat 
you know, simulate what a person should expect in the game. Like if a guy's just going 50% in practice, that's not going to help the guy who's on the starting side. If, if you're a scout team and you're on a scout team and, and the starters, you're going against the guy who's trying to prepare against the guy he's coming up against this weekend. You, you want to be competitive. You want, you know, you want to really challenge him and, and make him better. It's almost like, like the NBA all-star game. Everybody's talking about, come on, man, that was like a joke. You know, it was. you don't want to be, a, you don't want to be a joke in practice. You want to practice as good as you can against the people, make it hard for them. And that's what I liked about when I came to Cleveland in 86, it was like that in practice. You know, we, we practiced like that. We didn't, it, you know, we, we weren't physical in terms of the hitting, but in terms of the secondary and the passing and all that kind of stuff, we, you know, we did that well. And so I'm, I'm going to say to you guys, okay, um, I was as competitive as I could be. Um, with um, I first got to Philadelphia, of course, Harold Carmichael was on that team. Um, I'll never forget uh, Wally Henry, who was a wide receiver out of UCLA, I think. And he played with Coach Romeo at UCLA. Wally was a wide receiver for the Eagles. The year I got to the Eagles, they lost the Super Bowl the year before. Um, and this was the year after that. This was the next year. And I'll never forget uh, I was in practice against one time Wally Henry, and we didn't have any pads on this. We were just working out in the springtime. And I walked up to him and I was gonna do like a bump and run on him. And I didn't see anybody else doing this, but we had ran this kind of coverage at Ohio State. So I was gonna do it to Wally. And I walked up to the line of scrimmage and and he and he saw that too, that I was doing that. And so what happened is, um, he kind of backed off and I was like, Oh, okay. He backed off and, and then we lined up against each other again and, and, you know, and we kind of went at each other, but it was, for me, it was kind of an Ohio state UCLA kind of competition. You know, I was trying to, you know, compete with him in that way. Um, when that same year, Harold Carmichael was a, um, wide receiver and I was a corner at Ohio State who was adjusting to play strong safety in the NFL a position that they drafted me to play that I had never in my life ever lined up at any time at strong safety and I had no idea how to play the position but a guy from Ohio State um, by the name of Fred Bruni uh, coached and played at Ohio well Fred was a all-time leading interceptor at Ohio State at one time. Um, he was a secondary coach at Hill. He taught me how to play that, that position. But um, I lined up against Harold Carmichael and, again, um, tried to bump and run him and do the best I could to you know, make it challenging for him. But uh, he went out on that all the time. <laughs> you know, Harold was the winner in those matchups. But uh, but it was, it was, it was, a, it was a, the pride that I took coming from Ohio State. Because, guys, let me say this to you. When you step on a football field at the next level and you come from Ohio State, you have that respect. Now, sometimes it shows up differently how it shows up from other players. Some players could be envy, jealous, disrespectful, but they know you're from Ohio State. So you you, you should not disappoint. I'm hoping all those guys out there listening, don't disappoint them. 
<laughs> deliver what they <laughs> what they expect you to do. They they they're expecting that you're going to be the best, and they're looking forward to that. So, but uh, there was one thing I want to mention in terms of a player, and that is when we play uh, in Philadelphia, we played the Browns. I think it was in a preseason game, and God rest his soul, one of my dear friends, he he. I don't, I don't know what, well, because Buddy Ryan, in my opinion, didn't know what the hell he was doing. Because anytime you're on the, on the field and you need a free safety, Wes Hopkins, if he's on your team, he should be in that lineup, in that position. No other position, free safety. Buddy moved Wes to that linebacker position, whatever it was. And, you know, I, I just thought that was the biggest mistake. But Wes and I were getting ready to prepare because we were playing the Cleveland Browns. And they had a tight end by the name of Ozzie Newsom. And we we watched film, and plus we just knew how good Ozzie was. And I'll never forget it. Um, Ozzie, I'm playing strong safety, and we're down in the red zone. And it's a pass play, play action pass. And Ozzie, you know, there's certain things that you do in the secondary, at least when we're trying to pick up on what a guy does. He watches moves, you know, he'll make one move. That first one, he's just trying to get you off track. That second one, you know, it might be for real. But that third one, you, you got to go for that third one. You, you know, that's that's really his, his end. He's going to get into his route there. Ozzy threw about three or four moves. He threw about four or five moves on me. And I ended up twisting my knee. And uh, Wes used to call it Ozzy Newsome knee because I was, you know, I was trying to stay in my back pedal and everything and keep my inside position. And Ozzy, so, so Ozzy... Ozzy got me, um, and then uh, you know Kellen Winslow. You know, had a good game against Kellen Winslow, but you know, great. You know, I was like, "Whoo, wow!" Kellen Winslow, Ozzy Newsom. You know, so those are two tight ends that I faced. That uh, you know, they were really challenging for me, and uh, I'm like, "Wow!" And and they were Ozzy was in practice sometime when I was in Cleveland down practicing against Ozzy, but. You know, Kellen was always uh, playing against him. But, yeah, those are some guys I wrote. You know, I thought about, wow, this is, this is Kellen Winslow. Wow, this is Ozzie Newsom, you know. <laughs> and uh, But I did my best. You you played two memorable seasons with the Browns, 86, 87. Uh, and you were part of a great secondary with, you know, Dixon, Minifield, Felix Wright. You guys watching the Browns back then, because we were – I was a huge Browns fan before John's time – uh, he hears stories. Uh, it just seemed to me that that not only the secondary, but that whole defense, that everybody made everybody else better. Was that sort of the mindset of that Browns defense during those seasons? Yeah, we, we were a very prideful group. And um, people did recognize us and people, you know, did acknowledge the fact that we were a, a good group and, and and we competed with each other. We, we wanted to be good. We wanted to do good. And um, it was disappointing to me both times, the drive and the fumble, but particularly, you know, the drive because they drove the ball 98 yards to tie the game, not, not to win the game, but to tie the game. And for me, that was really disappointing, you know, because, you know, we didn't sack John at all. And we didn't intercept the pass, and and that, you know I, I don't I don't know if he ran if they ran the ball at all. I think they, you know, all the plays were passing plays. So 
I, I'm not one of those guys. I, I don't like to put it on coaches. Yeah. The coaches didn't call the right play. No, every play is designed. Yeah. Is designed with an outcome positive. You know, the defense designed so that the defense will succeed if the players do what they're supposed to do. And you know, we we just didn't do our job. We we didn't do our job. And for that reason, I don't have. AFC Championship or Super Bowl Championship rings, what, you know. But uh, was Elway the toughest quarterback for you guys to defend because of his mobility, or was there somebody else that you said, you know, when you had to face him, he's the toughest one that we have to face? Uh, uh, I don't think, you know, John was he was he was mobile, um, he was elusive. Um, but again, we didn't do our job. Our defensive line didn't do their the secondary didn't do their job. The defensive line didn't do their job. You know, so combined the two of us, you know, linebackers throw them in there as well. The defense in, in total, we just didn't do our job. You know, there's times when you have a step up and you got somebody's got to make a play, and we just did not make a play. But I will give John credit when it was time for him to deliver, he made plays. So he 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 everything he's he's got he deserved. You know, he earned it. And um, so kudos to him, yes. Ray, uh, last couple things here for you uh, as as we kind of wrap up the podcast a little bit with you here. Wanted to, to get into a couple of things for you post-football now and, and kind of how you've, uh, I guess, continued your life in the game outside of playing in the game. You obviously stepped away from the game in 1987. Uh, what have you done since then? And and what's been Ray Ellis's football life since he played the game of football that he loves so much? Wow. Uh, well, I, I've truly been blessed. Uh, I currently am now living in um, – Right outside the uh, city of Mace, oh, I'm sorry, the city of Phoenix. Uh, my wife works for the city of Phoenix, but we, we live in a city called Mesa, Arizona. And um, I actually live here in Mesa, Arizona. I live in Arizona because my, my football experiences and life experiences have been good to me. They've shown me the United States of America. They provided me with an opportunity to get an education. Uh, they took me to a school where I met my wife. You know, I've enjoyed things that I never thought I would be able to enjoy in, in life because of football um, earnings and stuff like that but um, you know it's one of those things where when I played in the Fiesta Bowl my senior year I said to myself the lady who I've been married to now for 40 years I called her she was in St. Louis Missouri I never knew Missouri was the show me state and so I called her and I told her, Arizona's a beautiful place. I mean, this is beautiful, you know? And I'm like, this is the kind of place that when you retire, you know, you you know, you know, might want to come live out here. And uh, and I'm just bouncing off to her. And years later, she's from the Show Me State. So that place, Arizona, she's like, we should show me show me Arizona so <laughs> we brought our, brought our kids out here for uh, spring break when when they were little kids and uh, yeah. and then we moved out here you know and uh, when I when I left Philadelphia I, I went into always when I was a kid I don't know for whatever reason I just thought about being in business and one day owning my own business and and I've been uh, been in several different businesses that has I've had partners. We've uh, 
start off in the printing business was my first experience. Uh, and then after the printing business, I was in the microbrewery business. And uh, microbrewery business, we were actually the first, we were the first microbrewery in a sporting arena that was an outdoor sporting arena. There was one that was an indoor sporting arena um, where they had, um, I think it was in Denver. Well, Denver, in Denver, the Colorado Rockies, they may have had a brew pub at their baseball stadium. And and then we came, uh, our beer company, Michael Brewer, was called Red Bell, Red Bell Brewing Company. And um, we developed a relationship with the sports teams uh, in Philadelphia with the 76ers and the Flyers. And then, uh, and then the stadium, the bed stadium wasn't owned by the Eagles, but um, we also did had uh, presence there. Um, and I came up with these mighty, um, many, many brew pubs, I called them. Um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, we were like the first, never saw those anywhere. And what I simply got an idea from my home, I had a bar in my home. And one time, the founder of Red Bell Brewing Company, Jim Bell, came to my home, and I sat him down at the bar because I had this concept. And you know, in Ohio, in Columbus, a lot we have hot dog stands, and basically, guys would hook the hot dog stand up to the back of their car and they take it wherever they had to go. And and then when they got to where they were going, they unhook it and go over there. Well, I told him, I sat him at my bar and I said, hey. Imagine this bar and you're sitting there right now. Think of it as a hot dog stand. And if you could take this hot, this this bar and put some wheels up under it, and then we could go to different facilities and just roll up and then we got kegs of beer. We just put the kegs under here and we just start serving beer. Well, uh, you can see some of those in airports now. You didn't see those before, oh, probably 1994. And uh, we had some in the Philadelphia airport. We had some in Vet Stadium. And then we also had a brew pub where we actually made the beer on location and, and served our beer there. So that was another company I got involved in, Red Bell Brewing Company. Then I um, I started um, getting involved with uh, with my church and we were doing um, faith-based ministries and we had job training programs there. And my pastor, my friend, Herb Lust, I rest his soul, Reverend Dr. Herb Lust used to be a running back for the Eagles. He was actually the first one who got on his knee and said a prayer in the end zone after scoring a touchdown. They credit him for that. Um, we started an early child education center, a job training program. We also had a um, job training program, um, uh, early childhood education, and a charter school. And that kept me really, really, really busy <laughs> because K through sixth graders, and uh, there were a lot of them. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing about that because I'm really proud about that because a lot of those kids now have graduated from high school, from college. Their parents, they're, you know, they're doing a good job of contributing to society and to their community. And that was probably. The work that all the work that I did, I probably feel the best about that, that impacting somebody's life in a positive way. Uh, that was really good. That that charter school and program was called People for People in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
And then after I left there, um, I moved to Philadelphia and I was introduced to an opportunity to work with a digital media company. Um, they were creating content, audio content, um, internet radio is a way to say this. Uh, and the company is called World Folk Radio doing business as Voice America. And I built their their sports platform. So I built, we had health and wellness business and then I created for them a sports platform that was Voice America Sports. And I did my show on there for years, Ray Ellis Sports. And um, I worked with the um, with Troy Benson, I called Troy Benson, um, who was working for Roger Goodell, still is, I believe. And I talked to Troy and I told Troy that, you know, there's this new thing out here, the internet, and there's opportunities out here for, you know, guys, you know, when you, a lot of guys, when they retire, they want to go into media, but in the local media, there's only so many radio stations. There's only um, one or a number of teams. So there's a limited amount of jobs that one could take on in, in that space of sports, you know, providing sports content for entertainment. Um, there's only one guy doing the sports at six o'clock, one guy doing 11 o'clock, maybe the same guy. But with internet radio, hey man, it, there's many people in the world who want to do it, they can do it. They got a platform. And so um, I created that Voice America Sports platform because I knew there were guys who wanted to do this. All, every team were going to be opportunities for guys who wanted to do a show. And we had 24 hours. And so I had a lot of guys, I probably produced about 20 shows. I was executive producer, about 20 guys who had an interest in radio. And um, and I gave them their, their, their first chance. Voice America Sports, and I even had to show myself, but they're still out there, you know, because one thing about it, internet radio, these podcasts, they're available on demand anytime, any place, anywhere, as long as you have access to the internet, mm -hmm. download them, whatever. So um, it's been exciting for me. And, and um, more recently, uh, myself and uh, my good friend Dave Jingo have been working on what we call Pro Sports Legacy, and we want to do two things that we're really excited about doing is sports documentaries and also uh, esports competitions for um, whether it be high school or adults, uh, but esports competitions. And um, I'm very excited about that. Dave's excited about it. And uh, uh, we're going to make that happen. But uh, I want guys to be able to tell their stories. If you make it to the National Football League, you know, in your hometown, where you went to college at, where you played pro ball at, you've got a, a great support system. And people always want to hear about there. You know, you're, you're somebody's hero. Somebody admires you. Somebody likes the work that you put in, the work you're doing, the success you're having. And, and they spend their money <laughs> to come watch you play. And uh, it's always nice to, um, you know, to be able to share some experiences with them and have conversation with them and, you know, just tell stories about a play that they probably will always remember their lives too. I, I probably, there's somebody, I made a play that somebody probably remember. They probably had a stadium one time and I made a play they might remember if I start talking about. <laughs> Ray Ellis, uh, we appreciate so much you joining us. Uh, former Philadelphia Eagle, Cleveland Brown, Ohio State Buckeye, McKinley Bulldog. 
a tremendous life in uh, the game of football, and we so much enjoy you uh, taking the time to join us on the official Pro Football Researchers Association podcast. Thanks for your time, Ray. Well, guys, thank you for having me. And uh, anytime you need me, just give me a call, shoot me a text, whatever. But uh, special moment, and uh, thank you so much. Ray, thanks, thanks for Ray. your time.